This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. I'm Helen Farmer. This is the Afternoons with Helen Farmer podcast. Your chance to catch up on some of our favourite interviews, the real life stories, the experts as well. And so many people already sorted for their travel plans in 2023. I'm not one of them. So we brought in the expert, Matt Vlemix from Donata Travel, who has a suggestion or five for you. Some brilliant bucket list ideas. So where are you going to be going? We had Dr. Imad joining us from Moorfield Eye Hospital. Who makes a good candidate for laser eye surgery? And we were going to the text line as well. Diversity in the workplace. Why your hiring manager might need to make some changes. And what are some of the obstacles of getting more women in the boardroom? Plus it was Dr. Sergio Silva who was joining us for Pets and Vets as we discussed sickness after boarding and went to the text line. Plus the nickname you give your furry friends. I want to know, where is on your travel bucket list for 2023? Or have you, like so many messages I've got, already booked things? My goodness, putting me to shame. Well, we've got the man to help you get yourself sorted. Matt Flemix is with us, the Donata Travel Leisure Manager. And where were you over the... Oh, Happy New Year, first of all. Where, did, you, did you manage to get away or were you here? Happy New Year, Helen. Yes, I, I made it back to uh, the UK, to England for all of two nights. <laughs> Took the early the early flight on Christmas Eve and, and back on Boxing Day. But um, well worth it to see some family. That was my kind of big takeaway from the UK is it was amazing to see family, but I'm, I was very happy to come back me too one now one thing i should say on the game changing front was the dube service oh my goodness why haven't i done this before it's completely blown my mind at home check-in we're going to talk about it and i'm sure in, in more detail in another show but for anyone looking to travel check it out absolute uh, the best money you'll spend when it comes to travel that was it fantastic and you can look on my instagram in the meantime for a bit of a nosy so where's on your personal bucket list on the travel front this year um well I'm enjoying being in this area, so it, it brings into play a lot of places that are yeah. much easier to get to than the than, than yeah is. living in the UK. So I haven't been to Sri Lanka for a number of years. I'd like to take the family there. So many parts of India to go to, and, and Indochina as well, and hopefully you know across to Africa. But I don't think I've quite got the leave to cover all those. I just checked mine this morning <laughs> because I was like, oh, I'd just check what's going on because I had minus one day for a very long part of 2022, and I was like, I need to start crunching some numbers here about how to actually make this make it count. My only kind of travel intention, hope, I guess, for this year is I really don't want to go back somewhere I haven't. Go, go somewhere I've been before. I want to be trying some new places. And I think a lot of people have got this appetite now for travel of the world is open again and, you know, sky's the limit. Um, let's hear from some some people who have already got themselves sorted. Oh, my goodness. I'm so jealous of you guys, honestly. Uh, Rich, off to Argentina. Uh, Buenos Aires, Patagonia in October. Oh, my goodness. That's my bucket list as well. A long, a long way from here, so it uh, doesn't help being here, but that's very much top of my bucket list I'm as well. I'm supposed to be climbing Machu Picchu this year, and it's just so far away that I don't think it's going to be possible. Again, like I say, I need I need to crunch the numbers. Um, love this from Kira, saying, always spend the first week of the year booking holidays. I've already sorted Georgia, Tuscany, and Japan. Love it. Uh, DG, last year, we already booked Thailand for March, New York for autumn. Steph's off to Denmark and the Maldives. So let us know, where are you off to? What are the plans? So let's talk the Donata travel bucket list because we've got some some great ideas. And I, I get inspiration from all sorts of different places. Honestly, mostly Instagram. Often what's possible according to the bank balance. So we're bringing some inspiration together. Let's talk way ahead. Winter 
next year and work our way backwards i guess well there's still a bit of fair bit of winter left as well so there is there is still yeah there is still space for this year as well unless you want to talk festive next year as well so i'm a bit bit christmas out to be (laughs) honest matt let's let's see what we can squeeze in now then is it still possible to get over and have a bit of a a bit of a Lapland experience. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So the focus now obviously switches from from Santa, which is just sort of closing down in the Santa villages there. Um, Scott, he's got to get back to making toys for Christmas. Well, exactly. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly that. But it, it means obviously there's a lot less crowds as well. But all, all the natural sort of phenomena that's there is still very much in play um, for the next few months. Um, Northern Lights is obviously a huge draw. Yeah. You can't guarantee it, but it's, um, you know, this is just about the peak period for it, really. Um, and a lot of the activities that you do on a Santa trip as well, you still carry on doing throughout the rest of these next few months. You just sort of take the Santa out of it. So you hope you can still see some reindeer there. Absolutely, yeah. Good. So okay. I've just had a colleague who went and did the um, the Santa trip with her three children, all sort of five, seven and nine, I think they are. Amazing. Um, loved the Santa visit. They, they, all of those ages really enjoyed the Santa part of it. Actually found it really authentic. Um, but also they stayed in an igloo. They went on a husky safari. Um, they visited a reindeer farm, were pulled on a sleigh by reindeer, obviously go out to see the Northern Lights by snowmobile, by car, all wow. of those sort of things you can carry on doing when, uh, when Santa's gone back to work. So in terms of the season then, wh- when, when would you say would be your last opportunity to, to, to try some of these things? You've got up to the end of March really for this real, um, real sort of winter focus when it's still you know, quite dark during the day and, and a lot of snow around. Um, Northern Lights as well tend to be best from about November to end of, end of March as well. You can get some road days when when they come in a bit later than that but i think the next the next couple of months are really ideal for it to get that sort of full, full sort of w- winter wonderland feel to it and does that mean if santa's perhaps not around there's a better deal to be had as well yeah there, there tends to be um and you don't have to book it sort of 10 months in advance which mm-hmm. often you have to do for santa to make sure you get the space um it, it tends to be quite an expensive destination lapland you know once, once you get there as well so it's it's never budget but it's it's a lot more affordable for the next few months um so we, we've got a four-night package um that includes uh, the hotel in Rovaniemi, which is the sort of major major hub of, of, of finnish lapland um your international flights various activities including the reindeer and the husky stuff um and and breakfast and uh, a visit around Rovaniemi as well and that's from 7 8 20 per adult and 5065 per child um, for, for the four nights on the flights. So um, including flights and transfers? Yeah, and, yeah and, and probably for the next couple of months it would be couples anyway. You wouldn't take your child with you. So um, th- there are great deals to be had. And, and as I mentioned, people are, are still absolutely loving it from recent evidence at Donata Travel. We've got Matt with us this afternoon. Let us know where is on your bucket list or where have you already booked for 2023? Equally, if you've got any questions and needing some advice about a destination, certain budget in mind, by all means, do reach out. Up next, we're going to be taking taking you to Japan, Kenya and Egypt. And you guys are just making me very jealous indeed. Sam says, I've booked Maldives in April, maybe Singapore in May. Sean's off to Mauritius and Tel Aviv and Trish is going home to Australia. I need to get myself organised. Luckily, the man is in the studio to help us with that. Get your questions in. Let me know where you're off to this year on 4001. You've got the ARN Play app and the WhatsApp too. We are talking travel on the show this afternoon, hopefully giving you some ideas, some inspiration, some bucket list destinations and, and loving hearing how organised, I say loving it, you're making me feel quite bad about being really disorganised, you guys are for your 2023 travel. Uh, Karen says, in a few months I'm off on a solo trip to Santorini for a Pilates yoga retreat, then on to London and Paris, 
Later in the year, my lovely husband and I are off to Scandinavia and Italy. You have got it sorted, Karen. Joining us live in the studio to hopefully help the rest of us out, we have got from Donata Travel, the leisure manager, Matt Flemix is with us. 4001, if you've got any questions for him or just want to share what you have got planned. So we've already talked about a little last minute Lapland visit. Now, one of your bucket list destinations is one that's been on mine forever, and that's Japan. Have you been? I have been, yeah. Tokyo only, and for a few days, a few years ago. But um, yeah, very keen to get back. I would love to go. My parents, after they left left Dubai, moved to um, Hiroshima and lived there for a couple of years before moving back. And I just love the idea of how totally culturally different it is to everything I've ever known obviously amazing food every chef I speak to and I say where's your favorite destination for food Tokyo 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 you know in terms of you know number of Michelin star restaurants but it's absolutely insane so what do what would you have us do in, in Japan where are we going what we're, well, doing? we're hi- highlighting Japan for spring which is the the, the sakura the, the cherry blossom season and obviously Japan was quite closed for quite a while um, over the last couple of years as well so when it reopened a few months ago there was this mad rush to get back in um, but yeah the, this sort of spring season because Japan's quite cold in winter and quite hot in summer so spring and autumn are ideal um, and, and that cherry blossom is it sort of comes out from late March into into May um, and a classic Japan trip if you fly into Tokyo and um, take the golden route which is the, the old Tokaido road across to um, across to Kyoto and Nara the old capital that's all really really doable uh, over a sort of seven night eight night trip um, fantastic combination of food as you've mentioned from Michelin star to beautiful food under the railway tracks in Tokyo um, the culture the history you know geisha in Kyoto fantastic scenery um, and then brilliant accommodations as well they've got the the uh, ryokans which are the old Japanese style inns where you stay on the tatami mats and things like that and even at some of those hotels they have Michelin starred food there as wow. well so it's just um, a fantastic combination Oh, okay. How are we getting around? Um, well, you can get a driver or you can self-drive, but, but by far the best way, I think, is by bullet train. Um, as you've probably heard, these things are impressive and they're incredibly efficient, um, incredibly clean, uh, punctual. Um, Good. They, like. they connect all the all the main sites as well and even up into the countryside a little bit as well. So you can combine Tokyo and Kyoto uh, with an area called Hakone, which is uh, up near Mount, Mount Fuji where they have the onsen, the hot springs and things like that. That's what I would love to do. Yeah. I want to eat in the city and then I want to bathe in the country. You take a day trip out to see the snow monkeys as well, which you've probably seen on some of the, the nature documentaries where they're sort of bathing in, in the waters as well, um, in the mountains. So this is that, that sort of combo list. is perfect. Yeah. This sounds amazing. So we're looking at about a week. Um, and as you say, food, cultural sites, some nature as well. Um, and in terms of accommodation, that's all. it's all in a package, am I right in thinking? Yeah, we, we completely tailor make it. So depending on what you add, where you want to go, how long you want to do even. Um, but for, for an eight night trip, taking in Tokyo, Hakone and Kyoto, um, selection of included itineraries, a seven day Japan rail pass. Um, some guided tours throughout Tsukiji Fish Market where you can make sushi and things like that. Um, we're looking at around 16,000 dirhams uh, per adult and 14 per child. Bear in mind that's during cherry blossom, total peak season. A lot of the Japanese travel to these areas then as well, so it fills up really quickly. Um, so that is the most expensive time. If you go in autumn as well, it's like New England. It's oranges, browns, beautiful colours, equally as, as pretty Seasons. as the pinks of spring. Seasons. So maybe keep it back for autumn if, um, if you so, prefer. So this is including, as you said, accommodation, flights, some day trips and guides, yep. your, your rail pass as well. All right. That's Full immersion, what, yeah. Full immersion. Yeah. I want all the sushi, breakfast, lunch and dinner. Okay. I think we can probably squeeze in. I mean, my goodness, what am I saying? We can squeeze in a bit of Kenya before we get to Billy Joel. Um, the Masai Mara 
Yeah, this is you have put together an absolutely amazing list, and if I can't get to them in 2023, which I won't be able to, before I die would be nice. So, so Kenya, it is of course all about that Maasai Mara National Park. How yeah. long do you think we'd need to go for? Well, you can go for quite short from here compared to from other areas of the world because of yeah the connectivity. So we've recommended this for the summer part of the bucket list, um, and that's because of the the, the great migration, which is the, the wildebeest and other herbivores migrating uh, en masse from Serengeti to the, the Masai Mara. Um, anyone will have seen the, the documentaries across the, the wide open flat plains, the, the, the river crossings that they take with, with all the crocs waiting to, uh, to have their fill as well. So that, that is migration time. Um, again, it is total peak time, but that's why it's bucket list because it's absolutely the best time to go there. So we're looking for the big five. How many nights do you think we could do then? Four, five? You can even six? squeeze it into three from here, potentially, with a, with a night in Nairobi. And then um, domestic flights tend to be by light aircraft into the Masai Mara. Um, then with a couple of nights on safari, you, you keep the cost a bit more under control as well. Mm. I'd recommend a little bit longer if you can. Um, it tends to be quite an initial outlay. And then when you're away, you don't spend too much because everything's prepaid, your guided activities, um, all your transport, things like that. So it's just tips that you tend to spend while you're away. All right, Matt, give us the deal. What numbers are we talking for a stay um, access to the park as well is every, is everything would be included all those things guided game drives um, private light aircraft uh, not private light aircraft private transfers um, so for three nights um, including the international flights as well you can get that from 7,700 dirhams per person per adult and then about 5,000 per child so that's the three night trip including a night in Mar- Nairobi as well and it's um, yeah that's that's a starting point I would I recommend longer but if you've got three nights go for that alright hopefully we're inspiring you this afternoon loving all your messages about where you are going in 2023 whether it's is bucket list or already booked Rajang what a lovely show I've been to 67 countries another 5 this year New Zealand Hawaii Bora Bora Islands Finland and Denmark oh my goodness please tell me you're taking some amazing photos Raj 4001 let me know what are your plans up next we are going to be taking you to Egypt and Jamie's been in touch saying feeling inspired by a friend's trip to Jordan we're a family of four looking to include Petra Dead Sea ideally have a driver would three nights be enough Talking travel on the show today and you guys, have, I have to say, seem to be pretty sorted on the travel front for 2023. I want to know where's on your bucket list or what have you already booked? Teresa saying back home for the whole summer, hoping the weather is kind, we'll be introducing our baby due in May to the grandparents. Congratulations. Marjorie, nothing booked but dreaming of somewhere tropical. Me too, Marjorie. Neil, I think you're echoing a lot of thoughts here. Saving money this year, sun off to school in September, so staying local with some staycations here and there. And no name on this one. I don't care where we go as long as it's not England. No comment from Helen Farmer. Uh, joining us in the studio to give us some ideas for that travel bucket list. If not for this summer, then certainly for, for moving forward is Matt Flemix. He's Donata Travel's leisure manager. We've already talked Japan, Lapland. Oh, my goodness. Uh, Kenya. And Sharon's breaking my heart, Matt, saying we couldn't find sushi anywhere in our 10 days in Japan. We're told it's a US, it's a US thing, not actually Japanese. Who knew? I will settle for a Rabati Grill. Um, so let's, let's, let's kind of end out maybe a little bit more locally. A, a cruise on the Nile. How does that sound? I can live out all my Agatha Christie fantasies apart from, you know, yeah, going over the side. <laughs> what, what's, uh, what are the options there? That's an amazing experience as well. Just totally unique. I've, I've always say that about Egypt is that even though you f- it feels familiar because so many people have watched movies about it and, and you know the mummy and all that sort of thing but actually it's completely unique from anywhere else that you'll go in the world um, 
the the Nile cruise that you mentioned is is a wonderful experience. You, you cruise between Luxor and Aswan, usually three or four nights. Um, stop along the way, see the Valley of the Kings, Temple of Karnak, Temple of Luxor in in Luxor itself. There's some beautiful, less travelled temples between the two as well, Komambo, Edfu, places like that. And then you, you either finish or start in Aswan, which is very very scenic indeed. Um, and it's it's just a very timeless and uh, even though there's a lot of sightseeing very relaxing way to to sort of see these really major unique historical sites where when is the best time of year to go do you think Matt? so that would be for the next few months or we've sort of tagged it for later in the year as well so from i mean it sort of mirrors here i guess in, in, a, in a in in a way it's not quite as hot during the summer but it is very hot in the summer for, for sightseeing especially it depends where you're coming from if you're coming, exactly if you're flying might... from manchester into you know then you're going to feel the contrast here we're used to it by now it might feel nice and cool if you go in july from here actually but but generally, unless you're going to Sharm el-Sheikh or Haggadah and places like that, you'd go to Egypt more in the sort of winter or, or spring and autumn. Um, and it combines really well with Cairo. Cairo's the, the, the starting point for, for all of that, really, to get to see the pyramids first. Um, is sort of sets the context for everything that you're going to see when you get on the Nile cruise as well. It's only about a 45-minute flight then down to Luxor once you've stayed in Cairo. And a lot of people will have been to Cairo here and know that despite the traffic, despite, you know, a lot of a lot of things going on there, it's actually a really interesting city as well. And they're just about to open the, finally, the the, the new Egyptian museum, which has Ooh. been slated for opening for about the last 15 years, I think. But I think this is going this to be the could, year, this could be the year. When, when they make it. Staying with Middle East, Jamie's asking, um, hi both, feeling inspired by a friend's recent trip to Jordan. We're a family of four, kids are eight and five, and we're looking to include Petra, the Dead Sea, and ideally have a driver. Would three nights be enough or four or five better? Thank you. Now, this is someone that is very much on my bucket list and I'm determined to not leave the UAE without going because mm-hmm. it just looks absolutely spectacular for so, so many reasons. So what do you think? Long weekend territory? Well, they, they sort of worded that question ideally, really, because three nights is just about enough, but four or five nights is better, really. Um, Petra is, you know, a lot of people from here will do it really quickly, but it's a massive, extensive site. So even if you get a, a guide for one day to show you around and see the sort of Indiana Jones bits and things like that, then there's still so much exploring to do there. Um, so I'd usually say two full days in Petra to really get a, a flavour for it. Um, it's a couple of hours drive from Amman once you've flown in as well. And the, the really good thing is that the Dead Sea is then on the way home from Petra to oh. Amman. It's only about 45 minutes from Amman Airport. So you can squeeze it in, but the longer that you do, I think, you, you know, Amman's a cool city as well. Um, you can go to Jerash, where the Roman ruins are, see the amphitheatre, things like that. Wadi Rum as well, if you've got the right time of year, is great for a, you can do a night in the desert and it's very different to the desert here, obviously, as well. So three nights, fine, a little bit crammed. Longer is perfect. I'm really tempted now. There's, there's photos in, um, in the family on my husband's side of my husband's dad and then dad's dad who was who was serving over there both in the Dead Sea reading the newspaper and I think my husband's determined to get the same photo and I'm sure the kids would love to as well so Jamie thank you for raising that do you have any deals in Jordan yeah we do um we can get three nights uh, in Petra only which which is not quite what we've discussed um but you've got your flights included in that and uh, three nights at a very nice hotel with with transfers and breakfast and that's from 3775 per person including um, flights including the flights yeah and then could you have the option then to open that up and get a driver and spend a little yeah, bit more 100%. time? Yeah, 100%. Yeah, we could tailor make that for you completely. As I say, do a night in, in Amman maybe to start. Um, add Wadi Rum, add Dead Sea, add Aqaba if you like diving as well. And th- the thing is it combines really well with Egypt. It's not a, not a long flight between Cairo and, and, and Amman. So if you're thinking of a long trip, see as many cultures as you can, then the two together is great as well. All right. Let me know, guys. It's your last chance to send any questions in. Matt joining us from Donata Travels. So if you've got any ideas for the year ahead, maybe you've got a destination or criteria in mind. Think of him as being your personal travel concierge. Uh, We were talking about 
intentions, resolutions yesterday. And it was no surprise that 52% of people surveyed want to improve their health, you know, eat less, uh, eat less junk, move a little bit more. And sometimes getting out of your own head and your own home can be a really good way of getting onto a bit of a, a bit of a fresher path. So we've rounded up some wellness retreats for 2023. Where are some of your favourites? Where, And I guess we're, we're probably going east, aren't we? Generally, yeah. Um, I mean, the the New Year's resolution that I like is 12 countries for 12 months, which I've started oh, hearing about, which we, we can definitely like help that. people with. Um, I but, thought I was being ambitious with 12 books for 12 months. Well, 12 <laughs> countries for some people. But if you want to uh, focus on the wellness, then it's a really good time to do that. And as you say, East Bali is is a real epicenter of that. Um, there's some amazing wellness retreats there. A lot of the sort of modern style of, you know, total immersion, real food based as well as mm-hmm. the treatments. Um, that, that style of retreat really was pioneered in Bali. Um, and that's still the case now as well. So um, you can go into the sort of interior there where it's in the jungle. It's jungle highlands, terraced rice paddies, that sort of thing. It's just like Instagram Bali. Yeah, hundred percent, and it's um, the Balinese culture up there as well is is a lot more sort of apparent than when you're at the beaches. Um, so, um, and the food is incredible as well. So, um, we have um, some retreats there near near Ubud in in the interior where you can spend anything from sort of three to three nights to a week, um, and it's it's not too hardcore usually as well. So, even though you're doing sort of plant based <laughs> diets and yoga and things like that, you're not um, oh, no. not starving yourself. I, definitely, I had a shocker a few years ago. I'm not going to say the country or the destination, but it was. Um, I didn't eat a thing and it was like a DIY colonic thing. And I was like, "Uh -uh, this is, I want to try and have some kind of form of relaxation, not feel threatened every time I see a a jug waiting outside my hotel room. So I thank you for emphasizing because if you listen, if you want to go full, full on, then there are places for that. But I think, a gentle journey. It's probably a bit more welcoming. Well, so, in, in Bali, we can get you a, a hillside pool suite instead, which is very salt. different to what, what you've just described with the, with the private you. plunge pool, the sort of Balinese style, you know, using natural materials and things like that as well. As we say, morning yoga included, um, antique touches around the place. Um, it's, this it's sounds perfect, expensive. Really. It's not actually, not, not compared to some of the retreats that you'll see around the world. So there's, there's a retreat called Five Limits, which is a play on elements, I guess. Um, and for a five night stay there in a, in a hillside suite with private pool you've got your breakfast you've got return flights various little sort of wellness things included as well and that's from uh, six six thousand seven hundred and fifty dirhams per person gosh that is really good and bali's affordable once you're there as well okay okay we were just talking about thailand off air i was basically asking matt to be my personal transfer concierge going i don't know where to go in the summer and you were saying actually thailand could be really family-friendly option um, and as we said great food some great options to go into Cambodia but what if you want to go to Thailand for I guess what a lot of people kind of consider it to be like a, a fitness break you know a lot of people like to go there and do their Muay Thai or you know go on a cooking course and things like that what what do we know about some Thai destinations? So Thailand is so popular with Donata I think from from this area in general um, and there's so much fun to be had there but it's, it, it is also it has the sort of the daddy or, or the mummy, I guess, of, of wellness retreats as well, which is Chiva Som. Yeah, um, really well known. And that, that won the best uh, spa resort in the world in the Condé Nast Awards uh, last year, for example. Um, I've got a Chiva Som cookbook, which has got some amazing recipes in there as well. So the food is a brilliant feature there. So that's that's in Hua Hin, which you can get to quite easily from, from Bangkok or from Pattaya, which we have direct flights to both from here as well. Um, and, and they 
do sort of tailor make packages. You're not going just for the accommodation and breakfast there. You've got to have some sort of package included, but they will work it around you. You can have the whole sort of fitness consultation, the diet consultation, various treatments included as well. So that it does come at a price work. tag, but mm-hmm. it is, um, you know, life changing. And, and if, if you spend a certain amount and then come back feeling a million dollars, then you're in profit. And you haven't spent a million. Uh, <laughs> Phuket, you've got the banyan tree. I want to just see if we can squeeze in. Um, something in Europe because you've got Germany on your list. Yeah. Tell yeah. us a little bit more about that because I like to think about Germany being, I guess, a bit more indulgent on the food and drink front, but is there a different side? It can be. And certainly the area that we described is just across the border from Alsace in France, which is very sort of food and beverage focused very. as well. Um, but Baden Baden, which you might have heard of, celebrities and, and royalty have been going there for years. I was including, thinking more the wags. I was, I was about to say, including <laughs> infamously the wags a few years ago, but that, that sort of gave it an unfair impression. It's a, a beautiful town, a spa town that, that people have been going to to sort of take the waters for for, for centuries now really um, and they've got some stunning accommodations there as well that are right in amongst the thermal hot springs um, food's a really good focus as well and, and the Black Forest is on the doorstep so you can go and cycle and walk in the forest as well oh. um, so really sort of outdoorsy way of doing it That sounds gorgeous Is there a deal to be had? Yeah there is there's a, a property there called Rumours Baden Baden which is autograph collection Marriott so um, really nice standards of luxury right in the centre of the town as well um, so we can do you three nights there um, in a superior room with breakfast we've got a 15% deal uh, saving on that at the moment and including the return flights uh, that's um, 6 eight, twenty per person there you go hope that helps a last question I has been saying is Georgia good in February it'll be cold in February it'll be cold it's great if you want to go and ski and yeah. um, you know there's certain romance to, to how cold it is there but if, if you want to be out sightseeing then wrap up warm I would say wrap up warm and then go to the sulfur baths so after I climbed Kazbek we came down freezing by the way and that was in July um, and Plessy was just gorgeous at that time of year but the sulfur baths where you go in and it's it's like a, it's like a their version of hammam a little on the whiffy side I would say but good for the muscle aches as well so I don't know about the skiing we're hearing all sorts of different reports about lack of snow around Europe at the minute but it will be cold Aya thank you so much for coming in and sharing all of your all of your inspirations so lastly have you booked anything and what's where are you looking to go this year nothing yet for me i'm enjoying being in the, the uae at this time of year Good and the, the usual parade of visitors lined up for the next uh, <laughs> the next few months as well um, so yeah definitely i think maldives seychelles or sri lanka would be the immediate ones that spring to mind but my daughter misses the snow so maybe something in, in sort of eastern europe as well well thank you so much for coming in i had a couple of messages going where where can this be found donatotravel.com but as you always say, if there's some, something or somewhere that captures your attention or you want a little bit more information, you guys can put together all sorts of different... Yeah, completely tailor-made. Call 800 Donata. We've got our 13 stores in various malls across Dubai and Charger as well. So please come and visit. Your eye health on eye. With Moorfields Eye Hospital Dubai. World-leading experts in eye care. Moorfields. Driven by your vision. Joining us live on the line is consultant ophthalmologist in cataract and refractive vision correction surgery, Dr. Imad Hakim. Dr. Imad, already had a number of messages for you. How are you? And happy good, new year. Good, how are you? Yeah, good. Happy, thanks. thank you. Happy new year for you too. Now, you. I think a lot of people have all sorts of ambitions when it comes to the year ahead. And for me, it's just, I just need to tick some things off my to-do list. And one of them is having my eyes checked. I think a lot of us, I'm not saying we all, I definitely do. We just get used to kind of living in a certain way and things just being a bit rubbish with our eyesight. So whether it is getting a proper eyesight check or indeed speaking to an expert about what some of our options are, 
let's perhaps make make this the year of clearer vision. <laughs> so thank you for being with us. Now, your yeah, specialist, you. as I said, is cat- cataract and refractive vision correction surgery. So um, exactly. can we start with cataracts? What exactly is a cataract and how does a person get one? Or who's at risk of getting them, I guess? I mean, cataract, we can divide it into two segments, the congenital one, which is rare. It means that babies are born with cataract, which means that lens itself, the lens which is sitting inside the eye, get some opacity and cause blurry vision. So the congenital one is very rare, but usually it's an aging issue. Mm-hmm. At the time, it's like uh, the, the tissues in the eye or the body, they get age with the time. So the lens inside the eye will get more opacity and the patients most likely they com- uh, compa- complains of blurry vision, foggy vision, reduced vision, especially at night, halos and glare effect. So mainly affect the patient or the people who are above the age of 65. But we have some cases, patients who are younger and they can, could get their cataract, um, could be related to any systemic disease like diabetes mm-hmm. or after trauma inside that. But mainly we see it in like elderly people. And um, in terms of options for cataracts, um, is it, does it have to be a surgery or is, is, is medicine an option? Yeah. It does, okay. Yeah, I mean, we, ha- we have we received a lot of com- like these com- of common questions about can I cure my cataract with the drops? The patient, they ask us, we hear about like some drops, you can cure the cataract. Unfortunately, no. The only possible way to treat cataract is by removing the lens and implanting an intraocular lens. So it's mainly surgically. And tell us then a little bit, I don't want to go into too much squeamish detail, ah. but in terms of, I guess, downtime as well, what people need to be aware of, whether it's for themselves or looking to care for someone who's undergone cataract surgery. Okay, I mean, the main thing we need to know that a patient, the cataract does not cause any pain mm-hmm. unless the eye pressure is high. It does not cause like red eye. So it's mainly come gradually. It's not an, a sudden loss of vision. It comes gradually. The patient complains of blurry vision, which comes like, through months or weeks or years, let's say. So uh, it, it does not happen in both eyes at the same time. There's always one eye affected more than the other eye. So what we ask the patient is like, when you do surgery, so we, after the surgery, the post-care is like two weeks, they got some kind of eye drops. They need to avoid sport activity, like swimming, going to the sauna, lifting heavy weights. So they can go out, they can have dinner, they can walk around. But they need to avoid any like like activities could affect the eye. Okay. If you've got any questions relating to cataracts in particular, drop us a little message. I want to move on now to perhaps the the one that is going to be more inclusive for a lot of people listening today. Because when whether you've had glasses since you were a kid or like me, you've kind of come to them later in life. There's always that niggling question: maybe I should have corrective surgery. And I think the follow up question is. Would it suit me? Who's it for? So I wondered if you could talk us through the different types of vision corrective mm-hmm. techniques or surgeries, Dr. Imad. Okay. I mean, I, we can divide it into two groups. I mean, the group of laser, the main group of having laser vision correction, which is like the laser, one of them, it's between the age of 21 and end of 40s. And the other group is above the age of 50 because uh, the patient after the age of 45, 50, they get reading glasses, additional to the far distance glasses, mm-hmm. which is a different story. So then this group might benefit from the lasers, vision correction, or from surgery, which means removing the lens and implanting different kind of lens. So let's focus on the, this group of the patients who we mainly see here between the age of 21 and end of 40s. So we need to have like a full assessment 
checking uh, the vision, the power of the glass or the contact lenses, and mainly the health of the cornea, the thickness of the cornea, the shape of the cornea by doing what we call it like a 3D picture of the cornea, which is called the pentacam or the cornea topography, to check if the cornea eligible to have refractive laser correction or not. Besides checking the complete health of the eye, but the main thing we have to check is what's the power of the eyes and the health of the cornea, the condition of the cornea. Does, that, does the cornea allow us to do the laser uh, vision correction or not. Mm-hmm. Okay. We've got, unsurprisingly, a lot of text messages for you, Doctor, so yeah. we are going to come to those in just a couple of minutes. Um, no name asking, um, I have unbearably itchy eyes, makes me want to rub them all day um, until I can't control it and I rub them until they're red. This is on a daily basis. Is this normal? We're going to come to that message. We've got Christina saying she's got pre-existing dry eye but has read that laser surgery can actually improve it. Is that true? And Naveed wants to know, could he be a good uh, a good candidate? Strong myopia um, since 12, now mid-40s, worn glasses all his life, um, but it's a pain and needs to feel free. His concern is the risk of complications and regretting not sticking with glasses. So what are the questions you need to ask yourself before you walk into the clinic? Dr. Imad Hakim is with us this afternoon from Moorfields Eye Hospital. If you've got any questions, this is your chance. 4001 is the SMS. You've got the ARN Play app and the WhatsApp too. You don't put your name on it if you would prefer not to. This is your free eye clinic here on Dubai Eye 103.8. Your eye health on eye. With Moorfields Eye Hospital. Dubai. I care for you and your children. More fields driven by your vision. So many questions coming in on 4001 for Dr. Imad Hakim, consultant ophthalmologist in cataract and refractive vision correction surgery. But we had questions across all sorts, Doctor, um, so we're going to hopefully help as many people as we can. Um, no name on this message that's come in saying, I have unbearably itchy eyes, makes me want to rub them all day. I can't control it, rub them until they're red. This is a daily basis. Is this normal? Absolutely not. I mean, rubbing the eye is not healthy anyway. It could affect the cornea. So we just ask the patient to avoid eye rubbing. So allergy is, I mean, the allergy, the itchiness in the eyes is like a reaction to the environmental, let's say, components outside. So the eye will react to, um, to the allergy. So we need to find out what is the trigger for this allergy. So he, the patient needs to know if it's like it could be the pet, could be the dust, could be the pollen, could be whatever, he needs to know what is the exact trigger to get the allergy reaction. So what we do when we treat the eyes for itchiness or allergy, we do not cure the cause, but we just relieve the symptoms. Mm-hmm. So the ma- most important part is to know what is the trigger and could be sometimes treated by the allergist or like the dermatologist who can give some injections or tablets if there's any cause, if there's any known cause for the allergy. Let's find the root cause. Um, exactly. Yeah. Oh, that sounds so frustrating. And avoid it, of course. And yeah. avoid it, okay. Um, staying with that dry eye, Christina's saying, hi both, I'm 45 and already have pre-existing dry eye, but I've read that laser surgery can actually improve it. Is that true? Is that true, Dr. No, Emma? absolutely. It's exactly the opposite. I mean, the laser treatment could cause more dry eyes, because when we do that, for example, the LASIK, we create a flap in the cornea. So this will cause dry eyes, but temporary. Okay. So the first two, three months, this, the LASIK could trigger more dry eyes, but then it will return back to, the, let's say, uh, the initial position. So it's not, it would not cure it. But the LASIK, if they have massive eye dry eyes, 
we could be careful, very careful to do that to perform laser treatment. There are other options like SMILE, which could uh, cause less dryness or the PRK could cause less dryness. So we need to examine the patient and know what is the stage of the dryness. So this isn't the fix you think it might be, Christina, but there could be other options. It's a case of doing a bit of matchmaking, your condition with the treatment. And Naveed um, has been in touch saying, I'm considering laser eye surgery. I've got strong myopia and have done since I was 12, now mid-40s. I've worn glasses all my life and I'm not considering this for aesthetic reasons, but more would it be the feeling of freedom, being able to see in the shower, in the sea, glasses not steaming up. My concern is the risk of complications and regretting not sticking with glasses as being able to see is so precious. What do I need to consider? Great question, David. Thank you. What, what would you say to anyone who's in a similar situation who's really weighing up the pros and cons, Dr. Imad? So, I mean, we do need to have the full assessment to know which procedure is the best for this patient. I mean, we're talking about strong myopia, so it really depends how high the myopia is. So if we have very high myopia, so the laser treatment might not be suitable for the patient, but we could offer the patient what we call the ICL procedure. It means like implanting kind of contact lens, similar to contact lens, but we implant it behind the iris and in front of the lens. So in this case, we spare the cornea. Mm-hmm. But if in his scenario, the cornea would allow us to perform the laser, so we could go for the laser procedure. So really need to know how high, how strong the myopia he has and the condition of the cornea before we can answer the question, which procedure is the best for the patient. But I mean, the, every procedure has some, like, kind of, some risk, but it's very, very low risk. Um. I'll, I'll, Naveed, I'll send you Dr. Imad's details off, uh, offline. I'll send you that link right. over. Um, and a message here, I think we're just going to be able to squeeze in this one, saying, how do you treat glaucoma and how long is post-recovery? This is kind of a topic for another, another day, but I wondered if that's something you could give a quick answer on for, uh, for this listener who's tuned in right now. So I'm not a glaucoma specialist, but a glaucoma uh, could be treated by eye drops. There's a first stage. Second stage, build the laser treatment to reduce the eye pressure. The third option is to do surgery. So it depends on how advanced the glaucoma, how the damage is there, and how is the eye pressure controlled with the eye drops, then the, the, the glaucoma specialist will decide to go for which option. But mainly we start with the eye drops and see if the eye pressure is well controlled, the visual field is still fine, the optic nerves still look healthy, so we stick to the eye drops. If we feel like even with the eye drops, the eye pressure is not well controlled and the damage there, then we move to the next step, which would be the laser treatment or doing glaucoma surgery. Thanks, Doctor. And I guess while we're all in this kind of new year, new us frame of mind, are there any resolutions we should make around our eye health, anything we should do or try or change in 2023 to protect our eyes as much as possible? I mean, what we recommend is like an annual checkup after the age of 40 to check the eye pressure, to, to check the health of the eye. If we're talking about healthy patients, if we have patients who take cortisone for any specific systemic diseases or diabetes or hypertension, they need to check their eyes on a regular basis. So number one. Number two, of course, like eating healthy, avoid smoking. This is one of the most important parts. And wearing sunglasses outside to avoid the sun let's say, the direct sun exposure and reduce the time of using the screens which produce the blue light, which could damage the, the tissues. So we'd reduce it to the, to the important. And we're talking, we're talking about children. We need, we ask or to recommend their parents to reduce it to like one hour maximum per day. 
and not sitting in like a dark room and having this full screen, uh, we're talking about smartphone or tablets. These are the recommendations in general and especially for children who are like younger uh, than 12. Dr. Imad, thank you so much. As I said, this is on my to-do list. You've been with me on the show this afternoon. I'm going to come to you at Warfields next. I need, I need to get off the to-do list because I've just, I mean, please don't judge. I've just been picking up reading glasses from the supermarket shelves and I know I need to do better. So I'm going to come to you, I'm going to get it sorted. And uh, as I said... I mean, the last thing I had oh, done 15 years ago. So I can't tell my, like, my experience as a patient, as a surgeon. Okay, good. That... So I'm happy with my, my laser uh, <laughs> outcome 10 to 10 years ago. <laughs> very pleased customer. Dr. Matt, thank you so, so much. Really appreciate your time. All the very best to everyone at Moorfields. And if you do want to, you too. If you want the details of Dr. Imad and the team at Moorfields, drop me a little message on 4001. Be very happy to share that link. And they will, of course, be back next month for another live clinic all about your eyes. More and more companies need to be understanding the importance of diversity for their business, for their profitability. But how can employers kind of better bridge gender disparity here in the UAE and beyond? Joining us now in the studio is Jay Shraj. He is the head of operations for Middle East and Africa from the University of Michigan Ross Executive Education. And I find this such an interesting topic because we make all of these personal resolutions and intentions in, in January. But I feel like it can be an amazing time for reflection of a company as well to think, who are we? What do we want to achieve? Yes, profitability-wise in 2023, but who are we in terms of our values? Who do we want to be attracting? Who do we want to tell the world who we are? So thank you for raising this as a topic. And I wanted to ask you first, Jay, what does that diversity word mean to you? Because we hear it a lot now, but I want to get your take. Thanks, Helen, for uh, having me and uh, Happy New Year to everyone who's listening. Um, Well, uh, the topic of diversity is really about inclusion. So it's not just about one area of diversity that we need to tackle. It's the overall topic of diversity. So when we're talking about uh, women's empowerment in the workplace, we also talk about ethnic diversity. We talk about educational diversity. Uh, uh, There are many areas that impact diversity. But Mm -hmm. when you look at what has the most impact on results and outcome of a corporation when it comes to a diverse management, diverse uh, employee base, it is women because they are half of the population. So when you look at the others, they are a fraction of the population. If we're talking about ethnic diversity, it's a fraction. If we talk about uh, a religious uh, uh, diversity, it's a fraction. But when it comes to women, it's half. Mm-hmm. So the impact of it is quite large. And when you say you know the positive impact, what is it about having more women in the workplace or an equal number or rep- representation um, of women? What is it that can be so powerful and impactful? It's about generation of ideas. When you have people with the same background and the same uh, uh, kind of thinking, you end up with one way of doing things. Mm -hmm. And if that one way doesn't work out, there is no other way to fix it. So the reason why you need that diversity is to have a broad range of ideas. So when there is a solution to a problem, you have different ways of addressing it. So when it comes to bringing that diversity, we can actually prove it with math. Uh, We have... Uh, 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 a couple of professors at the University of Michigan, one of them is Scott Page. He has written research papers using scientific uh, methodology that has empirical data showing that a diverse uh, board with women in it are more profitable than uh, the ones without. So what's gone, what's going wrong then? Um, you know, wh- why aren't we seeing more women, whether it is 
feeling included at the interview stage, getting the job or getting to boardroom level? What do you think are some of the common obstacles, barriers, even attitudes? So when you look at the barriers, uh, it starts with the hiring process. Mm -hmm. So there is a hiring bias when, when we first start with. Uh, it's not at the HR level probably, but it's more at the hiring manager uh, level where they think about uh, uh, maternity leave issues or they think about uh, uh, in, in terms of pay or in terms of contribution. So there is this perception that we need to change. Mm -hmm. And this, when we say we, it's not about men or women. I say anyone who sees that diversity is needed is a person that can make a change. So first one is the hiring bias. Second one is the pay uh, difference. That has been an issue of hundreds of years. And uh, we're talking about the last hundred years, we only made like a fraction progress when it comes to closing the, uh, the pay gap. But there have been uh, certain policies like in New York, in the state of New York in the US, where every job advertised needs to have a tight salary range. So it's communicated from the outset what that salary is and what, as you say that salary range which presumably is not you're going to earn between I don't know say 20,000 and 40,000 it's going to be tight range tight range it's going to be a tight range and what is the impact of that because it sounds like I mean something I think all applicants would love it's going to make it easier on the employee side as well because they hopefully will be able to have more straightforward conversations so why do you think more people aren't adopting that policy? Yeah, because it, because that has a lot of, it puts a lot of uh, companies at the front of the fight because they don't want to do this. Uh, companies want to keep it uh, under wraps so that they are able to manage the Low whole. Ball. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. And they usually build the pay, uh, the, uh, pay scale on previous history salaries. Mm -hmm. So... When you take, for example, a woman who's been in a leadership position and making 30% less than an equivalent male, she changes jobs to, to a similar position, is going to be based on her previous. So she's going to get a slight increase over the previous one. She's never going to make up that gap. Exactly. So you'll never be able to close that gap. With that kind of policy, it actually closes the gaps. How do you feel about processes like um, blind applicants where you don't know... So on, on an application or even on a resume, you don't include, obviously, a photo, but, you know, your nationality, your age, your gender. Have we seen that being successful? This is a policy that's uh, still at the optional phase because it, you always have the option to disclose who you are. Mm -hmm. And typically male uh, applicants tend to put male because they know they will be at an advantage. And sometimes females would decide not to do this because they would think that they would be at a disadvantage. So it's still at the optional phase. It's not at the policy phase. So there is some filtering in terms of getting a more diverse set of applicants. But when it comes to the final hiring process, that filtering advantage goes away. I, went, I mentioned nationality there, and I, I wondered if, that, if you see that having any movement in the future as well, people being paid according to their passport. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it, it sometimes... Would be nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it is kind of a practice, uh, and, and this is part of the... Uh, I don't want to say part of a culture, but it's part of the approach towards segmentation mm -hmm. of the different applicants. So, again, when it comes to nationality, if you're going to have a nationally diverse uh, board and management and employees, that's a great thing. But if you're going to start to segment based on pay scale, based on what kind of nationality you are and not based on the skills and the uh, contributions you bring, this is where you start to get uh, a negative uh, dampening of the effect of that diversification. 
We have got Jay Shiraz with us today. He's the head of operation uh, for the MENA region at the University of Michigan, Ross. Executive education, and I think this is such an interesting topic, as I said, as we kind of move forward into the new year, where people might be thinking about changing jobs because they feel undervalued, or they might be changing jobs because they don't feel like there's opportunity to grow. And I'd like to come back to that woman in the boardroom piece, Jay, if you don't mind. What do you think would really need to change on a kind of societal level or even, you know, governmental, even, you know, to to encourage more women to get into positions of power where they're the ones who can, you know, whether they are the hiring manager um, to start bringing up more female talent. I mean, we talked about the governmental policy. That's a topic that we can probably spend a whole day workshop discussing. Mm-hmm. But when you talk about the other areas, so in terms of what can the organization do and what can management do in that space, it's about mentoring. So it's not about being a man or a woman to be able to mentor. It's about having that uh, uh, capability to do it. So mentoring women to get the most out of them out in the workplace is one. So how do you do it? So if you're sitting in a conference room, I've seen typically that there are some women that are afraid to speak because if they say the wrong thing, they're going to be labeled. So they are not as as outspoken. It is our job to make sure that they are heard. It's our job to make sure that they say what they want to say. Right or wrong, doesn't matter. So the other one in in terms of a corporate uh, uh, approach is to have formal mentorship programs to identify who are the ones that have that capability to take on leadership and make sure that they get there. I think it comes back to that idea of allies, doesn't it? And that can be a male ally. It could be someone who's there holding the door open and, you know, speaking in a complimentary, you know, encouraging way to that person, but also to their peers um, at a higher level, you know, spotted this real talent in this individual and let's do what we can to encourage. But also from a female point of view as well, you know, we talk about, you know, shattering glass ceilings, but, you know, you really want to be the one that's holding the door open to the, the next woman behind you exactly and and this is where the empowerment is about giving the tools and one of the tools is education as well so the university of michigan has quite a few programs about uh, positive leadership and influence that can and and about diversity that can really uh, uh, help out getting the tools acquire the tools that are needed for that mentorship uh, uh, to be successful so in in the region we've done we've announced uh, two scholarships Uh, for programs in Ann Arbor uh, in the U.S. uh, about diversity to enable women in in leadership positions. Sometimes it comes down to the practical as well. And, uh, you know, we're in a fortunate place here in the world where many people have a nanny or a helper at home to assist with that childcare. But certainly in the UK, that's a situation in huge crisis where many women are forced to leave the workplace when they come to have children because the cost of childcare is absolutely extortionate and one of the big positives I guess to come out of the pandemic was this idea of more flexibility um, what, what else do you think could perhaps change to encourage more women to get back into the workplace after having children perhaps yeah I mean uh, uh, the thing uh, with uh, childcare has uh, it has been an issue that's been ongoing in the US between Republicans oh, and goodness. Democrats and uh, no uh, maternity leave over that no, yeah exactly and then but uh, there there was an act uh, that was supposed to pass through Congress that will enable free childcare so that it, it has a smooth transition between uh, birth and going to school mm-hmm. and allows the actual parents, both men and women, to go work and earn double income. So, but so uh, the, the issue of childcare, I asked the question is, then why do women have to be the ones to stay at home? <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. 
It's because of at the end it comes down to the equal pay. I'm not saying this is a general answer, but no, no, but, but typically if the woman earns less, then the logical yeah, decision you, is you for Excel the man to continue to work. You family, and you go, do you know what? Exactly, it makes more sense, and that's. I know an awful lot of men actually who would be delighted to I'm be one. out to be outed by their wives. <laughs> I think my husband liked the idea before we actually had children, and he's like, "Oh, this is actually a lot harder than I'd realised." But I think I think a lot of men or a lot of families would certainly welcome the option. It is the option. It's having about it's having the option and not being forced into a solution. Mm-hmm. It's about having the option to to choose the solution that works for you best. So, as we said, moving into 2023, if you could, I guess, wave a magic wand over hiring departments or boardrooms and change some attitudes or change even some policies, what would you like to see to to make the world a better place when it comes to diversity in the workplace? First, it's going to be about making a conscious effort to diversify. And recognizing that you might not be as perfect as you think you are. I'll tell you an example. In, In the technology space, in the Silicon Valley, it is probably the most undiverse uh, uh, set of uh, management and employee level because it's typically engineers, but they also talk all the time about diversity. So when, so how come we haven't seen a result? How come we haven't seen an action out of that talk about diversity? So it's really about having a conscious uh, thought process but, to do but, it. But also talking the talk and walking the walk. Yeah, exactly. And, and the second one is to have a formal mentorship program. It mm-hmm. has to be formal with KPIs, with actual metrics that are measured in order for you to be able to assess the success or the failure of such programs. And the third one is education, because it's, just, it's not just on the men's side to enable it. It's also on the women's side to have the confidence to do it, to have Absolutely. the tools and the education of what it means mm-hmm. to be able to do it. So those three, I think, if, if we can address them, we're going to make a huge progress. If anyone wants to contact you to find out more or do reading, as you said, and you've got pages work, what's the best way of getting in touch? Is there a website that can be a good resource? No, absolutely. It's, uh, uh, they can contact uh, through uh, the website, the University of Michigan uh, School of Business, uh, Ross School of Business Executive Education. There is a common website that can, uh, a common email that, that will be forwarded uh, up to me. Thank you so much. I think it's been really interesting. Hopefully made a lot of people think about their role in a company, whether they are an employee and what we know we can be doing to affect change around us, but those also higher up to be uh, moving into the new year as a more diverse and ultimately more profitable place because exactly. that's what the numbers it's benefit, show. It's benefit for everyone. Jay Raj, thank you so, so much. You're listening to Pets and Vets on Afternoons with Helen Farmer. With ProPlan, where the number one ingredient is always high-quality salmon, lamb, turkey and chicken. We're all about answering your questions, hopefully putting your mind at ease or giving you a bit of an action plan. We're live on Facebook if you'd like to see what's happening in the studio and you can contact us in the normal way, 4001. You've got the ARN Play app, the WhatsApp too, and Dr. Sergio Silva is with us from Intervet Veterinary Clinic on hand to take my questions, but most importantly yours on the text line. Happy New Year, Doctor. How are you? Happy New Year, Anne. Now, lots of questions coming in and I'm curious what's been coming into clinic over the last couple of days. Are you noticing any trends, any behaviours? Uh, most common for the last couple of days was uh, pneumonia, bronchitis, oh, and kinocoff as well, because most of the, caused by the change of the weather at the moment, and can, dogs come from the you know the kennels or from the uh, so hotels. They've been, so they've been boarding. They've been boarding for a couple of days, and they get stressed, and they. They got sick as oh, well. Oh, goodness. Okay. But please don't blame the pet hotels. Okay. And um, because this is because the dogs, they went to stress. 
when they get stressed, they get low immunity. So the pet hotels, there's nothing to do about the, you know, the local immunity. It's so what, is there anything we can do to boost our animals? Yes, we have, we have some products that we can boost immunity. Uh, uh, one of the products that I like a lot, the name is Xylex, that we can use before. Uh, we can prevent the animal to go to the to the, the, the pet hotels. Uh, I can say we can do the booster before, like I can say three months before they, they do, we can do the, the booster for the most common vaccination stuff, including kennel cough as well. And what about on the other side, you know, people that are coming into you where, I mean, our, our dog had the most awful cough. It sounded terrible, but I wasn't sure, is this a reason to take a, a, you know, take him to the vet? When When is it something that you hope will just pass and when is it time to come and see a professional? Once we, you see the dog is coughing and he started not eating, uh-huh. this is the best best time to... Actually, when he starts coughing, I believe it's the best time to interfere because you, first, if we talk about the cost, it's less cost. As fast as possible, you, you reach us. Prevention is better than Prevention cure. Prevention is better than cure. Cheaper like, than cure. Yeah. <laughs> so, and... As soon as you stop eating, it's, you have to be very careful because when you stop eating to revert everything, it's... You mentioned pneumonia there, bronchitis, the things that, you know, when us as humans, you yeah. know, you'd be encouraged to rest and have fluids and stay yeah. warm. How does yeah. it translate to the animal kingdom? Uh, for example, for big dogs, sometimes it's quite challenging because, for example, uh, Labradors and Golden Retrievers, they like to sleep on the floor. So even when they have some coffee or some, it's very difficult to put him on the blanket or stuff like that. But mm-hmm. for small dogs, you can put some blankets or some cozy, cozy. jacket. I mean, like, you know, some clothes. And this is, it's easy to, to handle for, for a couple of days. Uh, of course, hydration is very important, but give the right medicine on the right time. It's the most, the, the key. One question I had on my Instagram earlier today, and I'm so I'm so glad you're here to talk about it, was about pets and allergies, specifically people having allergies to pets. Yeah. Um, because there was this big, I don't want to say trend, but I guess a movement towards hypoallergenic dogs maybe about 10 or so years ago when we started looking at, you know, your cockapoos and people yeah. thinking about it was the solution to everyone's problem. Oh, he's <laughs> allergic. It's okay, we'll get a cockapoo. <laughs> so I was curious then, you know, are there truly any hypoallergenic dog? Uh, kind of, <laughs> we can because uh, immunity is something that that's uh, it's, it's based on your own experience, life experience. Yeah. So it's not only about the dog. We talk about the protein that itself. So it's more deep inside. But yes, has some cats that we can call hypoallergenic, like for example, Sphinx. We can help this one. <laughs> if you, you uh, watch Facebook Live, I just made a face. <laughs> the cat that looks yeah. like it's been turned inside out. <laughs> uh, but also, we have a dog that we call Basenji. Uh, it's a South African dog, and we this dog. It's a. I, I can say that we can call him kind of hypoallergenic dog. As good as it gets. Yeah, as good as it gets. And by the way, he is not barking, so it's very well. It's very, it's very, very good dog to have in the apartment. Very intelligent dog, and it's one of the I'm talking. If you've got any questions, and we've got lots coming in on, te- on 4001 on the text line, uh, Dr. Sergio with us during until 5 o'clock today. And I'm loving your messages on your pets' names and nicknames. What happens in your household with names and nicknames with any animals? Because I have Jarvis, who gets Jarvalicious, Jarv, <laughs> Jarvster, uh, Jarvis Cocker Spaniel. His home. What, what about your pets? Do they have any nicknames? Uh, I believe... The- my dogs and cats' names is already nicknames oh, like really? Lulu, Milu, oh. 
(laughs) Well, uh, you can't win today, I'm afraid. You're you're a friend (laughs) of the show, but everyone else can. Let me know, 4001. The the name of your animal and the nicknames that they get. Uh, Titi has another spaniel called Sasha. We have a three-year-old female British Cocker Spaniel. Her name is Sasha. Her nickname is Sasha Lingo. Sasha Lingo. And Racine has a cat underdog. Our cat is uh, C. Uh, We nickname him Fido. And our Maltese dog is so tiny, we call him Pesto. Uh, we nickname him Pesito or Pesuzi. Depends. It, it's, it's never ending, isn't it? We've got so many. Dave is baby boy, handsome boy, mummy's firstborn. Maggie is baby girl, little naughty monster from G. Uh, I've got a cat called Monkey and he gets called, uh, oh my goodness, all sorts. Baby, my love, monkey cock, all sorts. <laughs> Get them in. These silly nicknames could be winning you a brilliant prize. 4001, use the SMS there. You've got your ARN Play app, the WhatsApp too, and you'll automatically be in the draw to win a three-month supply of Purina Pro Plan food, plus supplements, toys and more. Brilliant start to the new year and a good way of your furry friend earning their keep in 2023. We're going to go to the text line next. Lots of messages about cats and some strange behaviours. You're listening to Pets and Vets on Afternoons with Helen Farmer. With ProPlan, where the number one ingredient is always high-quality salmon, lamb, turkey and chicken. In the hot seat today is Dr. Sergio Silva from Intervet Veterinary Clinic. We've had a lovely message for you, direct actually, doctor, saying, best regards to the best doc in town, Dr. Sergio Silva, and a ton of thank yous for saving the Amazon parrot. Forever grateful for all of his dedication and efforts. Hats off to his clinic staff, all amazing people. I want to know more about the Amazon parrot. What was going on there? Uh, He was found in some some place, so they they, they got the, the, the birds to us. And he was quite sick with pneumonia for kind of like 20, 20, 25 days. So when we intensive, we have intensive care, unit four, especially for birds. We oh have, we, yeah, and we take care very well with him. So he's, he's done. Oh, look at you. Oh, right. From birds to cats. We've had a couple of strange, I'm going to think of you as our very own Dr. House putting together some of these clues. A message here saying, my cat has recently changed most of her habits. She started eating the dog food, not eating from her bowl and sleeping in different locations. A bit weary and just not herself. Does this come together in your mind to be anything that you could direct this listener to? Yeah, we have to, to see how is the environment is, is, is for the cat always because cats can change the behaviour for anything. So, especially if we have a new guest at home at this time, it's quite common. Mm-hmm. Uh, fireworks can affect him a lot, uh, especially because the kids is inside the, the house as well. So, change completely the, the daily base for the animals, so they can change as well a bit. We have to understand that the dogs are with us for 25,000 years and the cat is less than 5,000 that we, we properly take care of. So, they still have some... Uh, wild spirit. That's interesting. On them, yeah. So, a bit more by mysterious the way, to us. The cats can eat dog food. It's not a big problem. But dogs, it's it's not a very good idea to do the opposite. But if the cat is still insisting eat dog food for a long time, he can have some nutrition issue in the future. So it's better to to try to avoid. Is this a worth a trip to the vet or looking at any kind of medical history, whether that is medications or something like that? Yeah, this is also something that it's have to 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 look after because. Maybe, yeah. Maybe. Keep us posted. Another another cat question here saying, I have a question about the cat's ears. They seem to darken around the edges of the ears. He's four and a half, a Persian. Don't know why or how this has begun, but it's a bit concerning. 
because I don't know why they've changed colour. His name is Zuki. Fluffy as well. I just call him Baba, as the dads call their children Baba sometimes in Arabic. Oh, that's lovely. Uh, some men was like us. They have some kind of exopigmentation that we, we haven't seen. Because I don't want to go deep inside, but called melanosis. So uh, this can, can get the skin a bit dark. So this is quite not uncommon. Mm-hmm. We can see kind of often. Uh, but you have to also have a look on the medical history. So some medication can turn the skin a bit dark, especially in some, especially on the edge, for example, the edge of the ears or the the, the paws. So if this listener was to come come to uh, come to you with this lovely fluffy cat, what would you be looking at doing? Any kind of swab testing on the on the skin, or what would what would happen in clinic, doctor? First of all, we need to evaluate the derma, you know, to see the if we have some dermatitis or some issues, especially around the ear, for example, ear mites or something, something like that. And put under the wood lamp that it could be a good idea just to have a look if this is, has some fungus on, on mm-hmm. the base and try to, I cannot say to go deep inside at the moment for dermatitis, I mean, so to do some tests. Have a quick look, it's the, the best. Don't, don't, don't be afraid at okay. the moment. Just. We're going to squeeze in one more cat question. Uh, Vina's saying, I've had my cat for almost a year. He's around five years old as a, as a rescue stray. My first cat, so I've got nothing to compare it to. The problem is he's just not interested in toys. Zero interest and actually scared of some. Do you have any engaging toy suggestions? I should be concerned that he doesn't want to play. Isn't playing a normal cat behaviour? It's very funny sometimes... My clients, they buy a very expensive toy and the cat are very interested for the box. Ah, mm-hmm. Great. So <laughs> sometimes the, you know, the easiest and the cheapest stuff, it's very nice. You can put some boxes, like a you know, paper box, you know, this carton box and connect both and they can make. But presumably they're just like people in terms of having different personalities. Some people just aren't that playful. Exactly, as well. So unless this, this has been presumably a drastic behavior change and they used to be playful, but now they're not, it sounds like this cat's just never been that bothered. Yeah, for example, if she lives in an apartment, they change completely behavior for the last year, so the cat could be under stress as well. So he may not be interested to make more noise and maybe he wants to just to be quiet and calm. And and they can be only calm cat. Dr. Sergio with us this afternoon. A message from Nikki saying, my 30-some flock all salute Dr. Sergio and thank him for all his care and love. Nikki, send us a picture. I need to see a picture of this. You can do that on the WhatsApp, 04871 That's the way to get in touch if you've got any questions. Hopefully saving your trip to the vet, putting your mind at ease, giving you a bit of an action plan here on Dubai Eye this afternoon. You're listening to Pets and Vets on Afternoons with Helen Farmer. With ProPlan, where the number one ingredient is always high quality salmon, lamb, turkey and chicken. Just remember the name of the show, Ben and Holly. That's what I was trying to think of. Forgive me. Um, I hope you're having a lovely afternoon. Joining us live in the studio from Intervet is Dr. Sergio Silva, ready to take your questions and mine because there are lots coming in for you. I think a lot of people are back, back into a routine, want to make sure everything is A-OK with their animal. Um, So let's go to this. This is from Warren saying, my cat only wants to eat wet food. I've tried her with different brands of pellets, but she never wants the pellets, only wet. Is this a problem? Her name is Hiccup and her sister is Tipsy. Cute. Do we need to worry about Hiccup? Uh, no. Uh, uh, remember that cats come from the wild again. Always I try to bring bring this, this back to our, our clients. Uh, and he like to eat uh, as, as much as possible. The, the kind of food so because they don't drink too much water so yeah, probably he doesn't drink water yeah okay so that's why they prefer wet food and w- with your I know you have cats well do, do you have, have any preference yeah I, I have a, a Arabian Mall that I like a lot actually to <laughs> be honest I, 
I, I love this kind of wild style. So, but my cat is exactly the opposite. She eats basic dry food. And, and this is not a problem at, at, at the moment because she drinks a lot of water mm-hmm. as well. So this is keep, keep the balance in between you know, dry and, and wet. Warren, you don't need to worry about hiccup. Hope that helps. No. Leo's been in touch saying, our two and a half year old dog, Bruce, keeps on scratching at the door. It can be when we go to bed or sometimes at 4 a.m. When we <laughs> come down, he's panting, excitable. Well, listen, we've tried putting him out. Water, shouting, not great, I know. Nothing has worked. Any suggestions, please? That uh, sounds exhausting. <laughs> yeah. uh, actually, this is quite common to happen uh, because most likely the clients, I don't say about Bruce specific this dog, but most of the clients, they keep the dog super close to him when they are puppies. And after when they grow, they try to keep them away from special, for some special place. So, for example, the bedroom or kitchen or someplace like that but you 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 basically create your, your own problem so this is most common I'm, like I'm, I'm saying i'm not saying specific for that door that but that's it happens a, yeah but that's what happens so it's scratch the door it's exactly the same the same process you need to you know it's like kids you need to teach him that he is part of the the group but he has a kind of In his the own space order. Yeah. yeah and he has his own space so if not he'd be you know he tried to to cross the limit, and this is that's when the, the problem started. We've got some great trainers in Dubai, by the way, if you want details of any. And I'm thinking about getting a couple on the show for a bit of a round table um, in the future. So if you want the details of them, by all means. But um, Mark from Dog Tag Training is fantastic. You've got Amy, um, who I can't remember where she is. And you've also got Dr. Katrin in Abu Dhabi, if you're there. Um, no name on this message, Dr. Saying, hi, both. We've got a 13-week-old mixed-breed Dubai special. And we're getting in, into a really good routine. We've been feeding him four times a day since we've got him. Um but I think maybe we should be dropping to three times. I'm not sure how necessary this change is or how to do it. Is it a cat or a dog? Dog. Sorry. Mixed breed puppy. Mixed breed puppy. Uh, is that fine? But just to give some calculations. So animals, they, they eat, sorry, dogs specifically, they eat between two and a half to four percent in dried food daily. So, for example, let's say that the dog eats a four kg. It goes to 160 grams a day. I'm, I'm saying average. It depends on the 150, sometimes a little less. Depends on the how how he spends his energy you know and this is so three meals it's it's okay three four meals it's fine so you do it on weight then you need to need to do we some need to maths. wait and yes we need to wait the best way is go to your vet and 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 try to you know to weigh your dog and, and make some some uh, how long do you keep dogs on puppy food for also depends but and, and for this one i can explain i have very good experience for example large breed dogs and uh, for example, special dogs like Dachshund, for example, we can keep them for up to two years wow, because they're really? growing. Yeah, special, for example, uh, let's say uh, uh, Great Danes, for example, we can keep him for one and a half years on the on the on the puppy food, and this is good for him because mm-hmm. it grows too much. So when I was back home um, in the UK, first of all, there were dogs everywhere. My kids were loving it. They met. A 15-and-a-half-year-old dog called Poppy. They met five-year-old Flora. They became obsessed with all the animals we were seeing everywhere. And we went around to my best friend's house. And I've mentioned this on the show before, but during lockdown in the UK, they decided to get a dog to help their six-year-old get over a phobia of dogs. Okay. And they got a Ridgeback. <laughs> a Ridgeback. Yes. Uh, Rodeo's in Ridgeback. It is ginormous. Oh, yeah. my goodness. Beautiful. I've seen a beautiful dog. Beautiful. 
Um, but I'd seen him in videos and photos. But seeing this dog in real life, just pure muscle. It, like, absolutely magnificent. But the thought of, you know, walking a dog of that size, I think he's about, I, I, I think he said about 45 kilos yeah. of muscle. Yeah, it's a, it's a pure, pure muscle. <sighs> yeah. And he needs a lot of exercise as well. So if we choose this kind of breed, you need... I always advise my clients come to us, come to the vets or some, you know, the, the pet shop, whatever you, and see what kind of breed you can you can have in your house. So based on your family style, mm-hmm. based on your your style. So if you like outdoors, you can. This is the thing. They walk yeah. him for miles. They're in the woods every yeah. day. It's been great. They're spending a lot of time and money on training with him. But I think I didn't quite appreciate just how powerful. He was. He's a big soppy thing, though. He's absolutely gorgeous. Um, right to the text line. Um, loving all of your uh, all of your messages. Um, the one saying, uh, "So many names to list, but I call them all floor sharks and cows <laughs> at the time, all being parrots." One of Pavlito's offspring has been adopted by Doctor Sergio. His name is Xavier. <laughs> Is that right? Xavier. Xavier. Yeah. So, Xavier. So exotic. Um, we've got a message here from Haytham saying, we've got a two-year-old desert dog rescue who always has diarrhea. On walks, not uncontrollably, thankfully. Um, until we put him on Royal Cannon 7 Plus Senior Food. We've tried the gastro and other gastro foods as well as probiotics for a while. Nothing fixed it until the senior dog food. He's in good spirits all the time. He's playful, healthy appetite, drinks plenty of filtered water. But is there anything they need to do? Is it worth forking out for tests or is it okay to keep him this way because he seemed happy and healthy for the last six months? Uh, look, we have a lot of cases of giardias, So, and giardias in some, in some cases, some dogs can be subclinical. So it means, so sometimes you do the test and the tests come negative. So, and doesn't mean that the dog doesn't have yeah. this specific protozoa animal, but it can have another animal as itself. So the worm could be very important. And keep in mind that it's, it's in that case, it's, it's good to just to see the, the, you sound the like vet. A, and, you sound like a great pet parent by... Yeah. Finding all these different solutions, so as you say, tests can be quite inconclusive. Yeah, if I can, I have a good experience on this stuff. If they want to come to me, I, I give like a free consultation. So just come over and we, there you go, we have a look. And yeah. I will, I can pass on the doctor's details. If you want Hatham, just let me know. Just give me a thumbs up on the text line, and I'll send them over. Um, Ashley's saying hi. Both our cat is one year old, spayed a rescue. Not long after we got her, she vomited up a worm. She has been looking rounder, but there's no other symptoms until she vomited. I thought she'd just been putting on weight. We took took her to the vets with the worm and they said it's a round worm and gave her a three-month worming tablet. Symptom-wise, she's eating, sleeping, playing normally, but has a round belly and is frequently urinating small amounts. Small amounts of urination looks like more UTI. So uh, this is it's quite common cat. Uh, Poor things. It's not fun for anyone. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, the worm when when they adopt a cat, even even six seven months after the 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 adoption, it's it depends on when they come from from the street straight away. Mm-hmm. I advise to deworm like a monthly base, quite heavily deworm for I can say even for six months, six seven months can be quite normal. But always I advise have a look first, go for the vets and see the best advice because you know. We talk on, on the radio, just quick no, it's, case. And, exactly. Uh, yeah, so it's really just, it's really difficult to give a kind of a diagnosis as such. Um, listen, do keep us posted on that. But yeah, can, as you say, take six months just to kind of get fully, yeah, fully treated. Fully, yeah. um, Andy's saying... Um, if, if I can oh, explain... Yeah, of course, tell me. Why? Because what, any any kind of deworm that we use, just this is a very specific uh, answer, uh, we kill based the adult and the young adult form 
in the intestine. So, but there's another worms around the body. So, for example, from the liver, from the, the lungs, and they migrate for the for the stomach. So that's why it takes so long to give the you know. Some, some, in some cases, we have to repeat it. Yeah, it's going to cycle out cycle to remove the, the full cycle. Okay, let's see if we can squeeze in a couple more messages. Um, Andy's saying we've got a friendly six-year-old Tom. Uh, he's neutered, mm-hmm. but has just started peeing in the house. We've seen him squatting twice. Can't believe it. Never done it before. He's a happy outdoor cat and going out and about as usual. Seemed well, chilled and cuddly as ever and gets on with the other cat and dog. We've had renovations around six months ago, but nothing's changed since then, apart from Christmas and all the extra stuff in the house. Any thoughts? Yeah, we're talking before about this stuff. So if you have some different movement inside your house, or so for some friends, family comes through, any small change can, you know, can excite the, the, the cat. But he's, I don't know if he's indoor or outdoor. Or just outdoor. Outdoor. Okay, so in some cases, it's, it's nice to see if he has some testosterone test to see if this could be a, a small issue. So it could be some... Imbalance some, of some Yes, some, some balance kind. of testosterone. Okay. So Let's squeeze in one last question. about. We've had loads of cat questions today about a hungry cat. This is from Tanya, who's saying, we have a rescue kitten who's about four months old. He's a good weight, not overweight, not underweight. We're giving him a mixture um, of mostly wet with a little bit of dry food. Now, when I say this kitten is always hungry, I'm not being dramatic. <laughs> saying he hoovers his food down, has a pouch in the morning and the evening, all within the guidelines that the vet's recommended, gone in 10 seconds. Constantly looking for food, stealing food, begging food, <laughs> stole a piece of cheese off my toddler and hunched, it over, hunched over it, <laughs> growling and hissing. Sounds like me. He's fully fleed and wormed, not neuters. That's coming up in a few months. The vet says he might just be a hungry cat. Yeah. There's nothing physically wrong with him. What does doctor think? Could be exactly the same. Always I've come back to the wildlife. Cats can eat between 14 to to 20 times a day is small quantities. So, and he looks like a constantly hungry because he is. So he is. Just he, like people. He, yeah, just like people. He wants some snacks all the time. Because remember, cats get, when they, they, they outside in the wild, they take small prey. So mm-hmm. grasshoppers, uh, lizards, so small, small bugs. So they take a small prey. So they keep the same behavior inside the house. We put him on three, four times a day, but... The cat's behavior itself likes to eat constantly, small portions. And I guess the, the concern is having an overweight animal, you know, and it, it leading to that. What I know as vets, you kind of do a body check when you you know feel the yeah. form of, of of the of the animal. Should we weigh our pets at home, or is it just a case of keeping an eye on them? Because we see them every day, so we probably you know we probably don't notice the weight gain. What do you think? Uh, it's like us keeping exercise, you know. Dogs, walk with them at least two to three times a day is the best. Cats, give him space, enough space to, you know, to exercise and, you know, keep an eye. Just if you have one of my advice, just have a look on his ribs. So if it's, you know, if it looks like a bit round, take, take care. Okay. I have to say... I have I've had the biggest smile on my face this afternoon listening to all of these all of the nicknames. Names. All the nicknames. It's amazing. Because I honestly I feel really I don't feel really silly. I I we call our dogs all sorts of different names, but it's good to know we're not alone. Um thank you so much for sharing some of yours. We've got a cat called Bella, gets called Bell Bell or Jingle Bells. We've got Marshmallow gets called Munu, Manai, Manashi, Janaman. It just goes on 
and on. Um, thank you so much to them. And thank you to you, thank you Dr. Right. So I really do appreciate it. I'm wishing you and all the team there, in fact, the very best for the year ahead. We'll hopefully catch up with you very soon indeed. And thank you for downloading this episode of the Afternoons with Helen Farmer podcast. Don't forget, you can subscribe. You'll get it direct to your phone as soon as it's out. And you can listen to me live on Dubai Eye 103.8, Monday to Friday between 2 and 5 p.m. You've been listening to a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. To enjoy lots more from Dubai Eye in the United Arab Emirates, just go to DubaiEye1038.com or find them wherever you normally get your podcasts.